0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about soil organic matter on today's program and uh, I had many soils topics last week at the Ag PhD Soils Clinic uh, and also the Ag PhD Corn Clinic. Uh, lots of questions on how do I do things on the soil? What should I really be looking at? And I've got some good ones uh, coming up today in the Ag PhD mailbag as well. We'll have our phone lines open throughout the whole show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Had an interesting discussion earlier today um, with an agronomist we work with, Rob Fritz, is on the show from time to time. Uh, we were just talking about high-yielding soybeans and I was talking about the organic matter piece, uh, just having a little discussion around soybeans. What do they need for nitrogen? And where this all ties together, if you're new to the show, we talk a lot about through mineralization, soil organic matter for each 1% of organic matter typically releases somewhere between 20 and 30 pounds of nitrogen. So for example, if you had 4% soil organic matter, you would expect to get somewhere between 80 and 120 pounds of nitrogen to come free from that through mineralization every year. So that's awesome. It happens this year. It happens next year. It's a really good thing. It's one of the big reasons we like soil organic matter, um, just from a dollars and cents standpoint anyway. But we're talking about soybeans. And Rob's argument was, that's wonderful, Darren, that you're going to get 80 to 120 pounds of nitrogen, and your soybean crop probably needs it, but when will it get it? And, you know, you think about it for soybeans, they don't have that big a root system. And so for them to extract everything, especially say you're in a 30 inch row and say you've got 120,000 final stand, maybe even 100,000 final stand, there's not that much of the soil surface area that is going to be explored by roots. So you aren't going to get all of that. And and he's right about that. It's it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to extract every possible pound of nutrients out in the soil. It just doesn't happen. So uh, Rob's argument was, because I, I just said, what does it take to go from 60 bushel to 80 bushel, in your opinion? And he said, well, you're going to definitely have to apply nitrogen because I really don't care what your organic matter level is. I don't think you're going to be able to access enough of a percentage of that to get the yield that you want to get. We have the same kind of conversation around wheat, When is the heat of the summer when the most mineralization is going to happen? Well, a lot of that comes after wheat harvest. So even though we need nitrogen, especially late in the season to get high protein and to max out yields, it just, yeah, there is some at that time, but it's not going to be the full dose. Uh, there's going to be more that comes later, and, and you account for that by your fall soil testing program or very early spring soil testing program, looking at what you have for nitrate levels in your soil. Uh, this was one of the eye-opening slides at our Ag PhD corn workshop for guys. Uh, we, we showed some soil samples we had done on our own farm from half a dozen different fields, a couple coming out of soybeans. And some coming out of corn with how much nitrate was left. And the number was high. I'll just skip to the chase. On all but one of the fields, the number was kind of high. Higher than we would have expected for sure. And we looked at, well, was it from manure? A lot of times we look at manure and we, we do get some dairy manure. And was it just, well, we had calculated the first year release, but we didn't really calculate the long-term release of nitrogen that's going to come out of that manure. And I think that's definitely part of it on some of the cornfields. But the soybean ground was kind of interesting because we had one field that had 36 pounds of nitrate left over, which is about what you'd expect. You'd say, Oh, maybe I'll have around 40 pounds after I have a soybean crop. But the next soybean field, which was very similar varieties planted almost the same day had 134 pounds of nitrogen left 134 and that happened to be on a on our biggest like our for acres wise biggest field by far it's a 300 acre field well 300 acres times an extra 100 pounds of nitrogen that we didn't think was going to be there uh, that's that's a lot that's 30,000 and you think about what nitrogen cost that particular year that happened to be the year when nitrogen was really close to a dollar a pound, that's $30,000 that we saved by testing for the nitrate. So I think that is really important before you make those calls of what are you going to get out of organic matter, but also what's left for nitrate if you're looking at your nitrogen program. As we talk about this organic matter piece on, on today's program uh, I'll tell a story and we're, we're fortunate enough to be fourth generation farmers and uh, it's, it's blessed us in so many ways. I know a lot of people say, oh, that's good. You had a land base to start with. Yes, we did. I uh, had a land base. We've grown it just a little bit uh, as, as each of those generations did. Uh, So we're doing our part that way. But I just look at how hard those guys had to work for everything they had, and I'm so appreciative of that. One of the things that that has been good, uh, especially our grandpa, was a real conservationist and really had the, the soil health in mind. He was way before his time. And I know building up soil organic matter was one of those things. And he struggled because in his generation, they had to do a lot of tillage. He didn't like it. He didn't want to have to do that. Uh, And he was kind of a little jealous of us that we had strip-till equipment and uh, planters that could make it through residue and this kind of stuff that he just didn't have access to. And we do have different tools. And I know on your farm, you're probably thinking, well, we've been focused on X, Y, and Z. I would say this, to to challenge this next generation. Okay, how can you build organic matter on the soil? You've got 30 years that you're going to be the primary decision maker. What are things we can do every step of the way, each job that we're going to do out there? Hey, will this build organic matter or will it burn it up? And when you start thinking about things that way, that's, that's kind of one of the things that Brian and I really focused on. I'm glad we were in alignment on this because, yeah, over the last 30 years now, We've, we've done a really nice job building up organic matter levels and we've seen a lot of folks in our state doing the same thing and it's really helped us uh, and we'll talk about a lot of the benefits of organic matter but holding more moisture, being a home for all those soil microbes and releasing nutrients for our crops, all those things have helped our productivity. We'll talk about soil organic matter on today's Ag PhD show, stay tuned.
1: It takes balance to be successful in farming.
0: How can naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. If you look
1: close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agroliquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less? Expect more? Precisely. Find an agroliquid dealer at agroliquid.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. It's 844 44 AGPhD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let's get to the phone lines right away. We're talking soil organic matter today and we got Sean Arthur with environmental tillage systems to talk about this. And Sean, right away, as I mentioned, organic matter, a lot of folks think, well, is that what's on top of the ground or below? And we're we're talking about the below ground portion. So how does your tillage system, like, for example, strip till, how does that impact soil organic matter?
3: Well, Darren, organic matter is kind of that buffer that connects the minerals that is your soil with the living properties that that it has. So the microorganisms that live in there, as well as the plant material that can grow into it, that soil organic matter is uh, kind of that connection between the two of them. And we know that over time, if you're intensely tilling your soils, you can pull down that organic matter. And uh, over tilling, that's one of the biggest risks that comes along with it. So when we think about strip tillage focusing only on that portion of the field where the seeds going to be planted, we're doing less tillage out there. So by only tilling about a third of the field, just where that the uh, seeds going to be planted, we're reducing that uh, chance of pulling down that organic matter and just focusing the tillage on where it needs to be.
0: You know, I I found a big difference in our farm and I'm so glad my grandpa got to see this when we started strip tilling. He was still around and and he loved it. He was he was a conservationist and he was just worried about our hills that we had all the time. And I, I talked to farmers all over that have hilly ground and they say, man, I really like the idea of not having to do conventional tillage, but I've struggled in no-till. Is, is this the happy medium they're looking for?
3: Well, I truly believe it is. Uh, there's a lot of the soils across the Midwest that do respond positively when you implement some tillage into it. And um, we don't wanna give up those conservation benefits by tilling the entire field, but if we can focus it to where it needs to be, then we can still get those benefits. Tilling the soil can help incorporate some of that plant residue. It can help um, clear some of it off the surface and give you some darker soils to allow your improved emergence out of corn, especially. Uh, Soybeans can respond to it as well, but sometimes tillage does have that benefit of opening up the soil and there is a place for it. And by implementing strip tillage, doing it only into that small zone we can reap those benefits without going backwards in the other areas of the field.
0: Yeah, there isn't just one way to do strip tillage either. I I see a lot of your machines around in the country with different coulters than we run or uh, with a shank or, or, or other options. And I just wonder how many different ways guys are doing it with the same base machine.
3: We do have a great platform with the Soil Warrior, and uh, we have the flexibility to really align with what the customer's goals are. Um, For some people, that means a coulter setup that's going to be using maybe the three coulter configuration to slice the residue, to lift and mix the soil without having to pull a shank through there. Um, because sometimes a shank can lead to some other side effects that we don't necessarily want. Using a shank when conditions are too wet um, can cause some sidewall smearing or smearing underneath where that shank runs, and that smearing or compaction that's created in there can limit roots later on. So the coulters can really differentiate from that. Uh, Conversely, there's also customers that really like the shank and what it does to physically rip open the soil. Some of them tightest soils need to be um, aggressively disrupted to, to open them up, and a shank can be a surefire way to do that. Uh, the other thing to consider would be the uh, nutrients that we're putting down. Uh, mm-hmm. Hydrous ammonia, um, we found that it works best to put that behind a shank so that we can guarantee we're getting it down to depth and sealing it up behind the, um, behind the shank once that's created. And uh, the shank is the best method for using ammonia. Uh, But when we look at the liquid fertilizer options or dry fertilizer, we've really got customers going both ways, whether it's a shank or a coulter or even our deep cog setup, which gives us the ability to use that same coulter type of mentality, but get down to an aggressive 10 to 12 inches of depth to really open things up.
0: You mentioned the nutrient application. This is one of the things that I think, too, if uh, we can do multiple jobs at that machine on a single pass, we can get the seed bed preparation how we like. We can handle residue on top of the ground. Um, We can certainly put nutrients on, but not only just put nutrients on, but put them down in the soil a little bit. And I I think about nutrients like phosphorus and copper and zinc and others that don't move all that much in soil. If I can drop them in – say six inches, eight inches down right underneath where I'm going to put my next crop, I know I'm going to grab those nutrients. I know they're not going to leach away or run away, um, you know, with erosion, those types of things. So I I do like that nutrient placement, that, that aspect of it quite a bit for our farm.
3: It just makes intuitive sense. I mean, if anybody that's dug roots can uh, visually understand where that mass of root is underneath where the seed is originally placed, and if we can concentrate more of our nutrients into that zone, uh, there's going to be a higher probability of pulling them nutrients up and when we think about some of the very low rates that we're using with some fertilizers, whether it's zinc um sulfur applications are getting to be higher amounts, but zinc um, magnesium, some of the other micros, you're putting such a small amount out there if we're broadcasting that across the entire field, I mean, there's just not a lot of chance for that corn crop to be pulling it up. So putting it into the zone where the seed is going to be gives us the highest probability of capturing that fertilizer in the first year and getting it into the plant. So to your point, I mean, too often we think about strip tillage being only about the soil preparation, but having proper nutrient placement close to that seed is just a double benefit.
0: I I agree. And then I talk to farmers all the time, especially young farmers that say, well, I'm renting ground and I am kind of on a budget here. I don't want to spend any extra Money and uh, I also don't know how long I'm going to have some of this ground. If they can put out exactly what they need, put it exactly where they need it, uh, like you mentioned, their chance of pulling that out is pretty high. So I, I like that a lot. Um, here, here's another thing too that's come up quite a bit. Sean has been cover crops. Uh, I I was up on a farm and this has been I would say at least ten years ago up in North Dakota. And they were planting their cover crop and then they were strip tilling right in there. And I said, man, this is a beautiful system. And he said, well, he goes, my primary concern was erosion control. No till wasn't working great for me, but this has been a really happy medium for me to put the cover crop out there and then strip till right through it. He goes, I don't, I don't even mind ripping up a little bit of cover crop. That's how he was doing it at that time. But uh, I know there are a lot of different ways to do cover crop and, and with as many farmers as you get to work with, you've probably seen some innovative guys doing things a little bit differently. What would you recommend if a grower said, Hey, I want cover crops. I also want to build my strips in the fall. So they're ready to go in the spring.
3: Well, I like cover crops. Um, The topic of organic matter today files right in line with uh, cover crop usage. I mean, if we could have a living, growing plant out in the field year round, that's going to be the best way to anchor the soil in place and keep it from eroding away, but also to continue to improve that health of the soil. But we also have to understand that having a big growing cover crop out there can have its limitations when it comes to establishing your cash crop. So um, for somebody that wants to be doing cover crops, seeding them out there in the fall, either with an aerial application or drilling them, can be a a great option to getting them established. And then you could come back in the spring and make those strips into established cover crops. Uh, Our coulters do an excellent job of cutting and opening everything up so you still have a good seed bed to plant into even though there was a cover crop out there. Uh, The same thing can be done in the fall. If you run those strips right after the germination of that cover crop, it typically destroys or, or kills off the area that's within that strip. And then you do have um, a green area that's growing for a majority of the field, but then those strips are defined and ready for you to plant into in the spring. So we have many growers that are experimenting with cover crops or using them in a very um, predictable way and making strips into it and then having a successful cash crop the following year because that's an, an important part of farming is we still need to make sure we're paying the bills and um, improving soil health is very important. Using cover crops is very important, but we have to make sure we're not going backwards on the main um revenue source of our farming operation, which is those cash crops, typically corn and soybeans
0: across much of the Midwest. Yeah, that's for sure. We, we definitely want to make money all the way through here so we can keep farming that next year. And one of the ways you might be considering doing that is by doing some strip tillage, talking with Sean Arthur here with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, you've been great today. Really appreciate all the insight and, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, there are just so many different things you can do with strip tillage. Sean mentioned, you know, we have a lot of guys doing liquid fertilizer uh, in some areas. That is just the, the most popular thing. Liquid fertilizer is really readily available. In other areas, dry fertilizer is the big thing. And, and certainly a lot of folks running, um, you know, dry systems to, to put out P&K and, and, and micros and others. Uh, it, it can be either way or it can be a combination or just a lot of different options that you have doing strip tillage. Well, that's one of the things you may consider if you're trying to build or conserve your soil or organic matter. Uh, but we'll talk to uh, talk to a farmer coming up here that, that might be doing things just a little bit different. And of course, if you've got any questions, or if you'd like to join the discussion, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
2: For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712 520 6051.
4: Join
0: us in Houston for Commodity Classic, America's largest farmer led, farmer focused agricultural and educational event. New Frontiers in Agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problems. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com.
1: Are you ready? We got the need. The need for seed treatment. Start Start your engines. engines. Ready, set, Intego. Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instruction.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about building soil organic matter. And just at the end of our last segment, Sean Arthur, Sean Arthur said, uh, cover crops. That's something that's going to be important too, uh, to try to build that root system, build up what you're doing. I know somebody that's been doing it for a long time. Not that far away from our farm. Uh, it's Brian. He's in South Dakota too. Uh, how you doing, Brian? Hey, I'm doing great, Darren. Thanks. You know, I, I think uh, this is interesting, too. I, I had a conversation earlier uh, uh, about a grower across the border in Minnesota that's, that's put cover crops into the system. It's helped his cattle herd. It's reduced his feed bills. Uh, it's made raising cattle more fun, and it's also been fun in his farming system. And a lot of times people are so focused on, well, I don't know, I'm, I really just like the crops, but they don't realize all the other things that can be done.
5: Oh, absolutely. You know, you talk about organic matter and in in our operation, of course, we produce probably 80% of what we grow goes into uh, some form of cattle feed, which means a lot of removal, you know, both in fodder and in in energy, grain and and so forth. So it's really important for us to get, you know, keep those levels up. You know, we strive to keep our levels at 4% or higher, and that's very hard to do when you're removing so much carbon. So cover crops are fundamental in that. We've been doing them for a lot of years. Um, some years are very successful and some years not just because of the amount of rainfall that we may or may not get. But you know, you, the, the key thing is having a living, living root in that system for as long as you possibly can because it's not so much the carbon you see on the top, it's what you have in, in the form of roots that you can't see. And as long as you have a living root, you have the ability to capture uh, sunlight energy and build carbon. So that's really, really key in keeping it. The other thing is livestock. Uh, you know, if you're going to have cover crops, the best way to really get the payback on those uh, is to have livestock and, and to graze them if possible, whether they're your cows or your sheep or your neighbors or whomever. Grazing is really, really important.
0: You know, Brian, when we talk to farmers just all over uh, North America, it seems like everybody's got their favorite cover crop that, well, I use this blend or I use just straight this one crop, this type of thing. Uh, when you're feeding livestock, it's kind of good. They, they can handle a lot of different typical cover crops that are out there and, and make good use of them. Have you found a blend that works for your area or do you do some different things depending on the year and the ground? How, how do you make those decisions?
5: Well, most of our covers go behind winter wheat, so they're, they're going to be planted in late July, early August. So there's going to be a blend of some warm season grasses and some cool season grasses, but mainly it's going to be oats, it's going to be sorghum, some type of a sedan grass. And then we're going to throw in some brassicas in there. But it's really important to have some legumes in there, whether it's hemp or it's some kind of a clover, something that's going to fixate some nitrogen for you. But remember that in the native systems, there's no single monoculture. There's a very diverse mix. So you really have to kind of pick and choose those blends as to how they work in your area, how much rainfall you get and so forth. But cattle will graze themselves. They will balance their own ration based on what they know they need. So it's fun to watch them as they go out in those cover crop fields. They'll take certain plants first and then they'll come back and take another one and come back. They'll just kind of keep rotating themselves. So they'll figure that out themselves.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, I I know that too, Brian. When whenever we'd have the big buffet for one of our family gatherings, I would graze and take a little of this and take a little of that. I can I can fit right in with those cattle. That's uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, okay. When when you think about that, um, you've got alfalfa in the rotation too. How how do you do that? You've got you have something living there really all the time when you've got alfalfa out there.
5: Yeah, but you know, alfalfa in and of itself is not the best crop to have in terms of building soil health and maintaining organic matter, it's really not that good um, just because it's it's just a single system. So a lot of times what we'll do in the fall, especially on our older stands, is we'll go out when we're planting winter wheat. If we had seed left over, we're going to go out there, you know, mid-October, and we're going to seed winter wheat right into that alfalfa. And that really makes a nice spring blend if you want to chop it, green chop it, or even graze it you know, a little bit in the spring. And if it comes up in the fall, it's nice to graze that as well. And it gives that soil a little bit more diversity. And it actually extends the life of the uh, the alfalfa crop out another year or two. So that seems to help. We're also trying to grow grasses in our mixes, but it seems like in our area, if we're too dry, the alfalfa would just choke most of the grasses out. So we usually leave our stands in maybe four or five, six years at the most.
0: Yeah, that is always the question, how long to leave that too. And I, I was just thinking for a rotation, like for uh, for our farm, we've had corn and soybeans for so long and we do cover crops after we cut silage, but uh, putting alfalfa in just something different that our ground hadn't seen for a while. So we're kind of excited about that too. But like you say, with uh, with livestock in the mix, it does give you quite a few different options and, and you presented one I hadn't even considered.
5: Yeah, and it does. But one of the things that we look at is cost, you know, and of course we we have alfalfa silage in our in our rations for our bulls but it's quite expensive and we can actually in today's world we can buy protein cheaper so we we focus now more on growing energy and buying our protein because you know corn is cheap corn's free 50 to 4 bucks meaning you know your dry distillers are going to be cheaper so we can take a lot of different fodders and make a really nice diet just from cheaper protein so we might be phasing out of
0: alfalfa a little bit more as we go on. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, those economics change all the time? I don't like you saying corn's cheaper, Brian, because that, that's a big source know. of income here. But, but I know what you mean. It all kind of plays into how things go um, all right lots of stuff here the other thing that I think is interesting about your operation is just how you've kept the family involved and you've got multiple generations that that have been working this farm and uh, just learning together growing together uh, that's what most people get in this game for in farming and, and you guys have made it work what what's the secret yeah. well
5: I don't know if there's a secret it's just you have to first of all you've got to understand each other's personalities I think that's key You got to be able to learn how to communicate and different personalities communicate differently so that's the key thing is learning how to communicate we do that um daily but we have meetings formal meetings every monday and then we meet with our teams you know on that same morning so we communicate things very well Um, the other thing is and i think it's really important it's something my dad instilled in me is let the younger people lead so my son who's 32 now is leading our operation he's our ceo was it hard for me to step aside a little bit? Absolutely it was. But you've got to let the young, energetic folks lead. Heck, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm close to 60. I'm ready to slow down. He has a whole lot more energy and a lot more newer ideas. You've got, to let them take, you've got to let them take chances and risks. And I think a lot of farmers are reluctant to step aside and let their young ones lead. And I think that's really key.
0: That's that's a great point. My dad put it a different way. He said, uh, and I don't know if he was just giving us a hard time, but he said to Brian and me, all right, I'm going to let you guys lead here, but uh, I'm still young enough. I can step back in and take over if I had to. And, <laughs> and we always laughed about that, but we're like, man what a weight came off his shoulders when he saw, Oh, Uh okay. There's, there's two other guys here that share my passion. And then he could kind of do the fun jobs that he wanted to do and be a part of stuff and, and take a little more time to, to have fun too.
5: Oh, trust me. You know, I, I'm not operational now, but I still do a lot of things, but I do it from a very high level. And, and I can do that from anywhere. I can do it from my camper in the, in, in the summertime in the Missouri, or I can do it from Florida in the wintertime. So you know, it that gives us a lot of freedom, and it and it's good for the younger guys too. It's like they aren't somebody's not looking over their shoulder all the time.
0: Yeah. But again, the
5: key is communication.
0: Yeah, great points, great points, Brian. Thank you so much. We really appreciate when you come on the show, and and thanks for sharing a number of ideas here about uh, cover crops and just overall management to to build organic matter and build the long term viability of your ground. Uh, thanks again, and and uh, have a great rest of your winter.
5: All right, thanks, man. I appreciate the time.
0: You bet. Yeah, lots of great tips there. And it, I, we always encourage you, you've got people in your area that are doing this too. And you're like, oh, I wish I was in South Dakota by those guys so I could learn from them. You're not. If, if you're not here and you're in Iowa or you're in Florida or wherever you're at, find the people in your area that are doing things. And uh, I, I guarantee you, Brian and his family didn't come up with every great idea on their own. They they learn from others. They, they talk to other farm operations. They get involved in farm organizations and, and their communities. And what a great way to do it. And, and then, of course, uh, I love his tip about let the younger people lead. Uh, get them in, let them make some decisions and, and learn from those. It's the best way to learn when, um, when you're making decisions and you realize, okay, something didn't work out great and, and you still have people like, uh, like your parents or grandparents around to, to help you along the way and give you a little advice too. Talking about building soil organic matter, certainly a long-term play on the farm, but one that that we take very seriously. Uh, If you've got questions about that or would like to discuss what you're doing, it's 844-44-AG-PHD.
4: Are you ready for
1: better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire Receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash face
0: How can naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about soil organic matter here in the Morton Studio, and taking your calls and questions at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com We'll get into some of those emails here in just a little bit in the Ag PhD Mailbag. I got Josh on the phone right now. He farms down in Iowa. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing okay. We uh starting to get a bit of a
6: warm up down here. It's kind of nice to be out of the ice box for a minute.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I can't believe how warm 30 degrees feels after you've been below <laughs> zero for a long time. I I don't know. I felt just fine outside in a sweatshirt today.
6: Yeah. I was, I was about to go to the basin and start rooting around for some shorts.
0: <laughs> I didn't take it that far, but, uh, but yeah, it is, it is nice to get out there. Hey, I just realized too, uh, where you guys farm and my dad grew up man, half an hour west of you guys, so not, not too far away. So I kind of kind of am familiar with some of the things that go on there. And I know where my dad grew up, it was heavy, heavy tillage. And I, I think about that with the, the deep black soils that, that run through that part of Iowa. And man, you just do tillage and tillage forever. Uh, that definitely takes something out of the organic matter in the soil.
6: It does. And, you know, the others, uh, I guess if you talking from a soil health perspective, the other sin that we do here a lot is is, uh, ammonia and hydrous ammonia, which can be pretty hard on soil organic matter. Um, Where we farm is kind of in a unique spot because we're in between two of the major rivers here in Iowa, between the Iowa River and the Boone, so we have quite a bit of variable soil where we can have CECs down in the, the low tens all the way up to 50. Wow. Yeah, and so, you know, when, when when I think about soil organic matter, I also tend to think a lot about soil structure because um, when you have that much variation, you can have places in there that are going to burn up and places that are going to drown out in the same field, but if you've got good soil organic matter, good soil structure, good soil biology, you can start to even out some of the risk that those uh, trouble spots pose.
0: Yeah, that that is really interesting. I I guess I didn't realize how much it varies where where you're at. That is, Well, we've got a little bit of variance here, too. We don't have a huge amount of real light soil, but we have some. And I've always said, man, what a great place for us to farm. We get to learn so many lessons. And brands like, everyone else would consider it a real pain. So I I guess you probably think the same thing, that, oh, my goodness, this is a pain. It'd be so much easier if it was all 25 CEC flat black ground that uh, I didn't have some. Some of the concerns i've got
6: yeah i mean it's there are moments where I, i'm kind of upset that my ancestors didn't just go you know a half an hour further west to a, where you all settled but um we found ways of making it work you know and and it's not all doom and gloom you know we're uh you know on my farm when it comes to the organic matter i found that you know keeping a living root in the ground all year round and partnering it with Things like hog manure and chicken litter could really do a lot to wake soil up and to build a lot of organic matter. And then the third thing that I've, I've kind of stumbled on recently is just making sure there's adequate calcium because that, that seems – I don't know what the relationship is there, but it seems like if you've got you know adequate levels of calcium in your soil, it's easier to build organic matter.
0: Yeah, there there are a lot of good things about calcium. I know every once in a while we'll do a show just on calcium, and and we'll get feedback from people. Come on, what are you talking about here? I, you know, if we're going to talk fertility, let's talk about some N, P, and K. Well, I think everybody hears enough about that, but uh, calcium is so important for getting nutrients into the crop. It's also so important because uh, it does a nice job in the soil of really making that optimal environment from air and water it's just it's a little bigger molecule you just have a little more pore space and that's great for soil microbial life they need air yep
6: and i guess the other you know stool leg there um it's kind of a new one to me um i've started using especially with things like uh, gypsum or uh dry turkey or chicken litter is using dry humate. um we get ours from uh, mine in Canada, and it's it's basically organic matter, but what I'm trying to get is more carbon in the soil because we have so much organic matter here that we have enough nitrates that they just, you know, leach out everywhere. If we can get more carbon in there, if we can build the soil, you know, using all these different techniques, and then get that humate in there, it seems like we can just do so much and not have to put so much effort into raising the crop.
0: You know, you mentioned that, and I'm thinking about. Okay, I, I get it on your 10 CEC ground that that's going to be a big play. What about this 50 CEC? What What do you have there? What's going on in that soil? What kind of organic matter levels are there to start with?
6: I mean, it it varies, but I, I'm looking at starting around five and going up to eight to ten percent. I know some of the um, USDA soil sample. Uh, books that my dad had from the early 90s would talk about places here where it was up to 12% in the potholes. But when I look at our soil health our, or our soil sample maps now, the highest I see is five. So just in 20 years, 30 years, we've taken that from a 12 to down to a five um, on organic matter. But we're also losing soil structure. And so I still use that that four-legged stool of humate calcium living roots and animal manure on these heavy heavier farms because I want to have that active soil I want to get it to have that good nice kind of chocolate cake type of uh, soil structure you see when things are really starting to cook and it's you know it's really helped me with um strip till um this this fall we were on some of my better ground and the applicator actually called me up and he says, Hey, I can tell a difference here because I had to jump up a gear because I'm having such uh easy time going through this soil. And that's was, awesome. Yeah. He was, he was like a mile or two down the road, same soil type. And he was having to go a couple of gears lower cause he was pulling so hard. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you got Jay Fuhrer up there in your area. Um, he talks about the soil health principles and that's kind of a big driver for me. And I think it's something that if you understand how they work, you can pretty much adapt them to most systems.
0: Yeah, I like uh, a lot of things about what you're saying here, too, that it's, hey, it's not just one thing. There's several things that all play together to get to uh, – and I love this term. I love this chocolate cake kind of soil structure. That That is so visual, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. When you've got that porous soil, it's got some cushion to it. It, it just seems like it really does uh, yield well in, in that kind of thing. Man, that's – this is fun though. It it just takes time. How's this gone with with other people in your operation? Uh, I I assume you've got others around you that are saying, "Man, are you sure about this?" Or is everybody just on the same page all the way through? Uh, I think
6: there's some skepticism there, um, especially when I first started. Um, but we're starting to see some of these 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 soils turn around to where. Um, they're willing to try some things. They don't go as far as I do on some of this stuff. And there's moments where I think they probably think I've gone completely insane. Um, but once once they see how certain things work and how the, the pieces fit together, I think then they're, they're, these guys are trying to figure out how maybe they can adapt parts of it. You know, they, I always tell them you don't have to go a whole hog. But if you want to try one or two things, you know, pick out what you like the best and see how it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And at least get started and get your feet wet with it. And uh, and then the other thing I, I just love that you have somebody else on your ground that's like, wait a second there's a difference here. This this is better. It's That's pretty cool and so rewarding because it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of thought and it takes some time to to make big changes on your farm. We're talking with Josh down in Iowa who is doing that right now and has been doing it for a little while and just continues to learn. Josh, thank you so much. We really appreciate you sharing today and, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon down the road. Thanks, Darren. You too. You bet. Soil organic matter is something that, for Brian and me, is is one of our big long-term goals on our farm. We, we just always talk about that. If we ever pick up a new field, we look at, well, where's the organic matter at? And, okay, that's at 2, and we've got ground nearby that's at 4 or 5 or 6. Uh, how long is it going to take us to get there? What are the first steps to build that? Uh, it, it's just helped us so much. We know that over time. Definitely look at that on your soil tests and, and look at where your productive ground in is and where you have some challenges and see what you can do to build it as well. Stay tuned. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed
2: Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both
0: white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Because the challenges
1: you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine. The linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF. Helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability
4: for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Do you want to
4: optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crops potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed inputs and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions
0: Come on in the AG PhD mailbag is about to begin welcome back you're listening to AG PhD radio if you'd like to send us a question our email box is radio at AGphd.com or you can just give us a phone call it's 844 44 AG PhD been talking about soil organic matter today and uh, I was chatting with my wife last night and just looking through some emails and get emails all the time. And, and we we really appreciate it. And we're happy to help whenever we can. And I saw this one last night. Uh, it, it came in. Um, I'm sorry, early, early morning. I so saw this first thing this morning. Uh, this one came in from Drew. And. He said, all right, last year I purchased my first farm ground in Southwest Kansas and I just saw that opening line. I thought, oh man, how exciting. So first of all, congratulations, Drew. That's awesome. Um, he said he was able to get some soil samples done before purchasing it. So he had an idea what he'd be getting into. Another great move. This is awesome. Uh, I, I'm like, wow, what a what an awesome way to start. You know, Drew, someday you're going to tell your kids, I've never bought a piece of ground that I didn't soil sample first. And they'll say, what, really? Nobody else is doing that, but maybe by that point they will be doing that because it's a a smart move. So anyway, um, to Drew's question, he said, this is irrigated ground. Fertility was mined out pretty bad the last couple years, and, and I'm set up to variable rate. I know the fertilizer levels need to be built up, but I'm really concerned about the pH. Would my best bet be putting a bunch of elemental sulfur on to lower that pH, or... Would you build the nutrient levels up and expect the pH to go down um, through, through that method, or would you be doing both? I did plant corn last year. The iron chlorosis was pretty bad, but I still ended up making 200 bushels. My goal is to get to 250 bushel corn. So here's a quick overview of my one-acre grid samples uh, I know it's going to be expensive, but I'd like to see the change sooner rather than later. Hey, I, I'm with you on that, Drew. I want to get it going as fast as I can. And uh, for for Brian and me, we've been in this game for a long time now. And when we pick up new ground, that's exactly what we do. We just go after it right away because oh, we got a pretty good land base built up. we got some equity. We can afford to do it. And if you're going to spend... I don't know how much the ground costs in southwest Kansas. I'm, I'm betting it's not this expensive, but maybe it is. Uh, but if you're going to spend $10,000 an acre and it takes another $500 worth of fertility to make it awesome, why wouldn't you spend 10500 and have awesome fertility? And uh, I know the way I thought about it at one point because I was at a land auction is, man— uh, it just went up 500 bucks because one guy raised his hand. Well, if one more guy would have raised his hand and it went up 500 bucks, uh, here you go. You're in the same boat, but now you have awesome ground. So, uh, okay, let, let me just run through some of the stats for our listeners here that aren't looking at the same sheet that I'm looking at. Soil pH is 7.9, and CEC is 20, so it's fairly heavy ground, and the organic matter, uh, since that's our theme today, at 2%. Uh, his phosphorus on an Olson test is 12 parts per million, and his potassium base saturation is 3%. We're low on all the micros except for boron, uh, and we're low on sulfur as well. Okay, uh, I got a number of things going on here, Drew, and for me, I would not be addressing that 7.9 pH first. I would be addressing the nutrients first. And since I want to make some big changes there, I would make those big changes first and just see where it shakes out. So for me, I look at, at your base saturation K, and this is the easiest math I've ever seen in my life. Uh, It's 3% K. And that's 300 parts per million in this case. So if I want to be at 4% base saturation K, I have to get to 400 parts per million. I don't even have to do any other math. Uh, that's pretty simple. Well, to move up 100 parts per million of K, here's what it would, here's what it would take. So 100 parts per million on a 6-inch sample, uh, to figure that in pounds, you just multiply it by 2. Because there's roughly 2 million pounds in 6 inches of soil. So to go up 100 parts per million, it would take 200 pounds of K. Uh, And when we look at potash, it's 0060, but that 60 is actually K20. So to convert that over to K, you just divide by 1.2. So it's actually 50% K in potash. So to go up 200 pounds, you'd need 400 pounds of potash. So if you wanted to do it all in one shot, you'd figure out whatever your crop removal is for this year. Put that on and then add another 400 pounds of potash and you'd have your K all the way up to 4% in one shot. Now, it may take a few years for that all to show up on your soil test, but uh, at least you got the pounds out there. Now, if you've got manure or those types of things, that might be a cheaper way to do it. It might not. I'm not sure. But you could look at that if you have other options versus commercial fertilizer. You know, with your Olsen test phosphorus, it's 12 parts per million. Uh, Let's just say you wanted to go to 40. And you said, I need to get that up to 40. What's that going to take? Well, that's 28 parts per million you want to go up. Uh, So 28 times 2, that's 56. And so 56 uh, pounds per acre of pea to convert that to phosphate. You multiply it times 2.3, so it's 128 pounds of phosphate. Then divide it by 0.52 if you're going to put MAP out, because that's 52% phosphate. So take about 250 pounds of extra MAP to go up to 40 parts per million, if that was your goal. But you can run the calculations depending on how far you want to push that. To me, I would look at those two things and say, okay, these are something I can do, and then price it out. If you say that's too much to bite off in one chunk, then I'd say, all right, just double your crop removal at least to start the build program. But if you can and you say, well, 250 pounds of map and 400 pounds of potash extra, how about I do half of that this year, half of that the next year? You can certainly do it that way too. The, the big thing, and this is something that Neil Kinsey says, and, and I think this is great because we say it too, but Neil says it much better than we do, but uh, the gist of it is you don't want to build soil up. Just to go broke and have somebody else reap all the advantages of it. Uh, you want to make sure you're going to stay in business. So I don't know how much else you're farming. Maybe you're renting a bunch of ground too, or maybe you just don't have any expenses yet and you're using equipment from your parents or your in laws or something like that. Um, and you can afford to put money in fertilizer. I'm not sure your situation, but uh, that's what I would do. I'd put the extra P and K out there right now. And then the other thing I would do is I would look at your micronutrients. Now, it's a 7.9 pH, and on a standard DTPA test, you're showing three parts per million of manganese. Do I believe that that's all you have out there? Not really. I think you probably have more manganese, but I can't see it on a DTPA extraction very well. So to me, I would run a Malik 3 extraction just to see what's out there. And I think you might have some better indications on these these micronutrients. But uh, let me just run through the numbers real quick for everybody listening. Sulfur, 9 parts per million. That's not enough. Zinc, a half a part per million. That's definitely not enough. Manganese, 3 parts per million. Iron, 8 parts per million. Copper, a half a part per million. And then boron, for some reason, is 1.3 parts per million. So boron, we're fine. All the other micros and sulfur, we need more. So to me, I'd be looking at every one of those. How can I get those numbers up? Now, you mentioned variable rate and that this is just kind of an average here of of what your samples ran. Uh, so some you'd be putting more, some you'd be putting less. I'm going to guess on the micros, though, that it's fairly consistent because uh, it looks like, hey, it's been rented ground They weren't necessarily putting a whole bunch of micros out there, that kind of thing. Now you own it. You can do whatever you want. Uh, If it's me, I'm going for it on everything, uh, but just have to see how your budget runs. The manganese, though, here's why I caution you that you may send in um, at least in a couple of spots, have, you said, you mentioned, uh, send him to Midwest labs, just ask Midwest labs to run a Malik three. They may still have your soil and say, Hey, could you take a couple of those samples and just run a Malik three on that? Uh, so you may not even have to go out and pull another sample, uh, and then see, see what they come up with on that. Cause manganese is really expensive. Uh, I don't want to put out a whole bunch more than I'm not necessarily going to use, but to me, I'd be looking for something. Um, To me, also, all those micros are low other than boron. I would look for a blended product. And we found a a dry blend um, that had a homogeneous prill. So it was all there was some of everything on every granule. Uh, And we spread that out trying to build all the levels up. And that would be perhaps an easy way that you'd have just one product that you're using instead of having to put some zinc out there and then come back and put some manganese out there and then come back and put some iron out there that kind of thing we've done that too on our farm uh, but it just wears everybody out uh, making that many passes and handling that many products well again congratulations drew i'm so happy that you got the new ground that's awesome I'm also glad that you pulled the soil samples too so you know where to start and you can start running some numbers as to what it's going to cost. If we can help you any more, let us know. Uh, just email us, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Had fun talking about building soil organic matter and building up your soils for the long term. If you ever have a question, again, radio at agphd.com.